James. Hey, Duncan. How are you? I'm much better now, thank you. How are you going? I'm right too. What are we talking about today? The, well, well, I've got a, uh, I've got a question for you, Duncan. Have you ever been told to calm down? <laughs> I think I've been told to be less intense. I don't know if calm down is the right thing, uh, you know, recently. And so to me, yeah, I think you can get caught in the moment and you can push and you've got time pressure. So, yeah. Mm, mm. Well, I mean, there, like, there, there's two thoughts that come to mind for me. There's the, the classic, like, being told to calm down intentionally by a friend who is doing it with the purpose of riling you up, right? So if you're, if you're kind of like getting worked up around your mates and they're like, dude, just calm down. Like, <laughs> you, they know what effect it is um, intended to have. But more interestingly, when uh, you are struggling with an emotion, there have been times in my life where um, someone you know, in my vicinity would tell me to be like, okay, calm down. And just by virtue of hearing that, I very much do not calm down. So the reason why I ask, because I think this is a really interesting insight into emotions, uh, which brings us to the topic of today. So I just first welcome to Cloud Streets, a podcast where Duncan and I like to talk about uh, contemporary or interesting uh, topics that we come across in our reading or our everyday lives. And today- In my reading. Uh, <laughs> In, 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 in your listening. Uh, yeah. So today we're, 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 uh, we're talking about a podcast episode that Duncan shared, uh, was verified just before we got started in uh, chatting today, from Brene Brown, talking about um, you're doing emotions wrong, uh, which is based on a book that she recently wrote called um, The Atlas of Emotions, uh, which I find super interesting. So Duncan, I thought I'd just get your quick takeaway on that. On the podcast or... Yeah, yeah. Well, like just the insight around like emotions in general, and what you talk, what you took away from this concept of well, there's actually a lot more to it than we kind of like give credence to. Yeah, I mean, it's not something I've not heard before, uh, but I think she's got an interesting take, and you kind of learn, you know, more about it. So, there's a study um, which I can't remember. I heard it um, on I think an NPR podcast, which said that all else equal, people with a bigger emotional vocab have better emotional health. It's not the only thing. Mm. And a big part of this is, you know, the emotional intelligence frameworks, emotional self-awareness, emotional self-regulation, perception of others, etc. right? Well, the self-awareness one, if you can name three emotions, you're probably less aware than if you can name 10 emotions and you're probably less aware than if you can, in the case of Brene Brown, I think it was 83 emotions she's put forward. Um, mm. And so to me, yeah, for sure. Um, getting better at understanding the emotions that are happening and that are possible is not just actually, and this is one of the main things I like, is like, you know, you are the limit of, your language is your limited thoughts. Mm. Or what the quote was, I think, which you put in there. And basically, the more language you have, the more thoughts you have, the more emotional vocab <laughs> you have, the more emotions you can feel. And that's really good. <laughs> the limits of my language mean the limits of my world. Ludwig Wittgenstein, and I can pronounce that word properly because it was actually quoted on the podcast. But, um, but I think this goes to the heart of what you're trying to say and something that you and I have spoken about at length in the past, um, which was more centered around just language, right? The ability to identify or label or even categorize things helps expand our awareness and uh, our appreciation. Um, the classic idea that there are 12 different words for ice uh, in the Eskimo language. 50. Um, 50, yeah. however many, more than one 
is the point I'm trying to make. Snow. Uh, I got two. <laughs> frozen water. Yeah. <laughs> um, but applied here, when you think about it in regards to emotions, um, it really opens up this uh, this this world of uh, what is happening inside of ourselves as we move through the day. And I think it it, it was really well put forward when so Brené Brown in um, in part of research for this book asked a group of people to name the number of emotions that they, mm. not, not just to name how many emotions can you think of, which I'm sure we can do a very fun exercise of, but how many emotions can you honestly uh, identify in yourself as you're happy, having them? Uh, and the thought was like, maybe they'll come up with 10, maybe 15 or something. And the answer was three, mm. happy, sad, and pissed off. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, honestly, I reckon I could name half the politicians in Australia and like, I don't know, 50 to 100 politicians in America. I don't think I could do, I already did this, I'm like, all right, can, can you get to 10 emotions? And I got up to like seven and I'm like, no, this is so bad. And when you when you read the words, I know the definition of that. So I read all of the 83 emotions I think she has. And I'm like, there wasn't a new one in there. Actually, there was. Freud and Freud or whatever it was, instead of the opposite of Schadenfreude. Freud and Freud, yeah. Yeah, so that that was new. So I think there was one new one. But if you ask me to name them, just because like, I could literally name the politicians. But just because I can recognize a word doesn't mean I can use a word. And so what I've come to realize is I might have a big emotional vocab, but a very small, useful emotional vocab. So I just want to quickly um, segue. So this is a word I believe more people should know about. So Schadenfreude, which uh, German word means to take the um, distinct pleasure in someone else's misery or downfall. Um, and we've heard about this a lot, mostly in politics, mostly in um, you, know, uh, you know social divides, but. I, like, I'm not joking, Duncan. Um, my partner and I, a week or so ago, were actually on a walk talking about how we were just getting absolutely giddy looking at our girls all rugged up in warm clothes and how we just had this sense of like, we had this real feeling of like joy just knowing that they were all snug and nice and warm. And we just like, I wish there was a word for that. And we said, like, there's Schadenfreude. What's the opposite of Schadenfreude? And so Schadenfreude, now, I think it is, but go on. Well, it's better than Schadenfreude, which was how I used to pronounce it. <laughs> You've got a very good uh, phoneme thing, but you don't have got a good phoneme grapheme mapping, but this is the thing for a different day. Go on. But the point is, um, Freudenfreude, I think. Schadenfreude. I'll go with. Schadenfreude, I believe. No, no, it's Freudenfreude. Oh, so Freudenfreude, it's, which is the opposite of Schadenfreude, yeah. yeah. To take the pleasure in someone else's joy or to take to find joy in someone else's pleasure. I don't know but I, I, th- I just want everyone to to know about that because that is my new like word of the month mm. well I think um so that is basically taking joy in others happiness or something so if someone mm. does well you know I, I'm normally happy for them not all they've done well now I'm grumpy that I haven't done well or something and so most mm. of the world is not zero sum so someone doing well doesn't preclude you from doing you know, well. It means someone does well, someone has to offset do bad. And so unless someone did well at the expense of somebody else, which hopefully is a very rare thing, then you should be happy for them. So if somebody, whatever, gets promotion at work or does something nice. And so to me, 
but also then taking you know pleasure in people's pain. Remember, like kind of we're in Australia, and I was kind of hoping that West Australia had a big COVID outbreak because they'd been like free the whole time. And being from Victoria, we'd had the, the worst lockdowns and the most lockdown city on earth at one point. Maybe I don't know China's going to overtake us or something. But now I'm quite happy <laughs> with with what's happening in Shanghai because I also I think it's I'm not a fan of Xi Jinping, and this policy I think is not the right policy now. It might have been the right policy two years ago, but it's not the right policy now, in my opinion. And so I'm hoping that it undermines his popularity, <laughs> which I think it is. And so I'm really quite happy that they've got COVID. Uh, yeah, because I don't like Xi Jinping. <laughs> so um, going through and listening to Brene Brown talk about uh, moving from emotional imbecility, which is when one could be considered to be drowning in emotions, to where we hope to get to, which is more emotional granularity. And this would be, as opposed to drowning, you'd be able to surf the waves of all of your emotions. So my question, um, and I'm happy to answer it first, but my question I had was, do you think you're an emotional imbecile? Well, this is what I think I've said to you um, multiple times. Um, I think that I have okay emotional self-awareness when the seas are calm and not very good when the seas are rough. But when the seas are calm, you're normally happy and content, you know, and so you don't necessarily need to be regulating yourself much. You're kind of fine unregulated. And when the seas are rough, that's when you might be frustrated or you might be unhappy and, you know, you're hurt or something. And, and that's when the regulation is more important because you might do something with the benefit of hindsight you might regret. And so I think that I'm good when I don't need to be and bad when I need to be good. And I feel like I'm maybe getting better slowly with time. Um, and so... You know, do I think that, I don't know, 10 years ago I knew all the words on that list? No. Do I think that I am good at labeling myself in the moment? No. But at least my vocab's better. I like to think I'm less bad than I was. But when you think about it, I think this is actually one of the levels or one of the places to level up that could help me the most. Mm. Like, mm. I don't need to necessarily, I don't know, know every single person's name in politics. But I need to be able to name more than seven friggin' emotions, I reckon. So I reckon getting to like 20, 30, you know, would be much better than the seven that I came up with. Yeah, I, I'm like, so I completely empathize with your situation, Duncan. I feel Aww. Your... Good emotional <laughs> aware, intelligence, James. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, that sounds hard for you. Duncan, <laughs> over there. It must be crap but... for you. <laughs> I am awesome, yeah. But this idea of um, self-awareness in the times that are good and uh, self-ignorance in the times that they're bad, I, I relate to wholeheartedly. And I actually have tried to put some semblance of um, comprehension around this. So I, I try to separate emotional intelligence, which is the rational thinking. It's your like, favorite I model. Can... I know that you love this and you should be proud yeah. of it. But it's not that good. Um, it's, it's average. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm now calling it emotional control, not emotional fitness. So there's intelligence, like fitness, which man. is <laughs> <laughs> go on, go on. Oh, you're making me angry, Duncan. Mm. <laughs> so emotional intelligence, similar to what you're saying, Duncan, in, in my view, is understanding you know the, the the broad spectrum of emotions that exists understanding the role that emotions play in one's life um, mm. and appreciating that from an intellectual point of view. Mm. But for me, emotional fitness is the ability to apply this knowledge in the times where they are most relevant and that is when we're being emotionally triggered. And mm. like you, Duncan, I would have to say I am very unfit in this area. At least mm. uh, I'm not as fit as I'd like to be. 
Um, so to me, I think this is maybe the core of what the message or the, the sort of um, learning that I took out of this. Um, I don't know who said this, but emotions are signals. Um, so they're just data. And so are you, you know, are you experiencing frustration or are you frustrated? No, I'm experiencing frustration. And so effectively, all else equal, more data inputs is better than less data inputs. And if you have no emotional input, you know, that's not good. But if you have in like happy, sad and pissed off, I think you the words that you used, that's less good. That's a very low resolution than, okay, happy, sad and frustrated or happy, sad and anxious or happy, sad and you know, worried or, you know, whatever else it is. And so to me, I think that the more signals you can have coming in, whether that, let's just call the break of two things, logical and emotional. And I think that, I don't know, you get told to spend a lot of time improving your logic, etc. right? But, and maybe you get told that emotional intelligence is important, but like, what does that mean? And so uh, I think what Brene is saying is that you should be good at naming the emotions and not just naming them, naming them real time, ideally, you know, mm-hmm. and that if you're able to do this, it affects everything. It affects the logic, it affects the interactions you have with people, it affects how you are with yourself. And so to me, emotional fitness, if you wanted to have like a, a measure, it's like, okay, well, how many times in a day do you actually label emotions that you're feeling? And so I actually systematically sort of try to meditate for two minutes before the hour, every hour. And one of the main things meditation does is it's concentrating your breath. And when you concentrate on your breath, you realize what emotions you're feeling. You realize what thoughts you're having. Otherwise, you are your emotions. You are your thoughts. You, you can't observe them. And then you kind of, oh my God, I'm frustrated. I didn't know that. And so I try once an hour to do that two-minute breathing meditation from my watch, which is a way, and one of the things I'm trying to do from that is to get perspective, to understand what I'm feeling emotionally and what I'm thinking logically. So I don't know why you wouldn't want to level up in this space. Mm. So, so this is one of your favorite tropes, Duncan. And I, ha- I, however, for one, really like this, um, this, this particular way of thinking, which is so it, it comes back to one of the biggest um, takeaways I got from this, which is language doesn't just help you communicate your emotions, it shapes them. And it's really good. For me, <laughs> for me, this is more than just being able to label your emotions, but it's how you relate to them as well. So when you say, Duncan, um, it's not just about, I am angry, but you can disassociate yourself from emotion to say, I am feeling angry. Mm. And just by having that level of insight, for me, completely changes my relationship to the state that I am in, because it no longer feels like a core identity, because for me, let's face it, when I'm angry, I feel like everything is wrong, like everything is just not working, like blah. But to, to in the moment, realize that I'm feeling angry. Mm. This is a state that I'm in, and, and, and as with most things, states are fluid. I can disassociate myself from the feeling, and I can then like look at it from the outside in, thinking like, what is it that's making me angry? Mm. And how am I um, you know, approaching this or how am I letting this consume me? Mm. Or can I can control it any better? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Like, so if you take the three ones, what is happy, sad, and, and annoyed, I think it was. And so sad, and then there's this nice little wheel that I found. I don't know if Brene made it. Well, could it be fear, anxiety, frustration, confusion, isolation, grief, hurt, guilt, shame, jealousy, 
outrage at injustice, helplessness, overwhelming stress, humiliation, embarrassment, depression, rejection, loneliness. All right. If you'd asked me to name, I don't know, whatever that is, 15 ways that you could be unhappy, I'm not sure I could, but you can normally feel like I'm unhappy, I, I, hopefully, if you ask. Well, why? Okay, good mm. question. <laughs> I don't know. You know? <laughs> um, and so to me, yeah, the, the more high resolution you can get into this, the more you can understand. And also you could go from that sort of helplessness to that, you know, on top of it, drowning, I think, to surfing is what she called it. I don't know if you're ever going to be able to totally like wrestle that beast to the ground. But instead of you being 100% a cork in the ocean, you can hopefully be getting towards safe waters or something, you know? And so this is core. I think whether you're conscious of it or whether it's subconscious, you're probably having emotions all the time. Mm. And at least for me, they only know about the emotions when they're really loud, you know? So if there's like low, medium and high, I only really know about them when they're high, but they're happening at low and medium or high all the time. And I should be considering them as a signal in what I do probably all the time so if i'm at work i'm trying to be very proactive at work outside of work just trying to you know chill um and at work i'm trying to take into account logical you know data points to consider what to do all the time like real time 100 percent of the time should be trying to do that for emotions too and i don't think i'm anywhere near maybe i'm 10 percent or, or maybe less of the of, of the amount of data points come from emotions that come from logic hmm. so i find anger to be Probably the most interesting emotion of, of How all of the... How often are you angry? I don't think I'm angry. Like, am I like, unhappy? Yes. Am I frustrated? Yes. But I'm not angry really much at all. Curse. But that's out of frustration, I think. You know? So, so you know, I was, hardcore I was, time pressure is a good way to make yourself unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> I would, in, in all of my uh, wisdom and extensive emotional awareness, classify frustration as a subset of anger. Um, so, so maybe, I wouldn't, but yeah. Um, but like going back to the point, like personally, I don't feel like I get angry a lot. Mm. <laughs> um, there's not a lot that makes me angry. But before, the, before today, I tried to think about what is it that makes me angry? And there were two main things. The first one is when people I care about make a judgment on me that I don't believe to be fair or uh, or representative of my reality, right? Operative word being mine. So if someone accuses me of being um, dishonest or if someone is accused of being dishonest, that's hard. I'm, 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 I'm clutching at straws here. All right. <laughs> so I don't get, um, I, but do I, so if this, if this is energizing and or enjoying it and not enjoying it, yeah, I'm enjoying mm. things and not enjoying things all the time. Why am I not enjoying it? I don't think I have a high resolution way of saying that most of the time. Mm. But okay, so. Or a high resolution way really, of saying why I am enjoying it. Yeah. Go on, yeah. So I tried really hard. There are a few things beyond that though that do make me angry. Number one is anything that impedes my progress when I'm in a hurry. So if so I'm I would say trying anger to. Anger is a very strong word. Does it make me unhappy? Yeah. Yes. Angry? No. They're different. Well,. Like, I mean, I try and stay away from using the word hate. I'm not hating. Like, yeah. You just like, is it annoying? Yeah, you? yeah, but sure. I, yeah. But I'm not angry. Yeah, but I think, like, so where did they? Uh, where did I get the? So, angry is basically a natural response to perceived threats, and so this is where I'm coming back to. I used to have 
an entirely negative relationship with anger. In that, I thought it was just default bad. I, just, I thought if you got angry, then you'd lose, or that is not in any way helpful for you or um, what it is that you're trying to get at. And I feel like that that's changed. I feel like there are, in some ways, um, utilities to anger. Like the first realization was, um, I can't remember where I got it from, but it was around evolutionary biology. Like this is an evolutionary trait. It evolved to serve a purpose, uh, the argument was, right? Um, and they talked about that the main thing was around helping to protect and neutralize threats. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so to me, I wrote a blog a while ago called Emotional Health is not only feeling good emotions and not feeling bad emotions. It's feeling all emotions and using them as signals to hopefully help you make a better decision. So I think, I don't know, it's worse in society. You want to feel happy and you don't want to feel sad. Or you want to enjoy things, you don't want to not enjoy them. But what I've realized that qualia, the experience of experiencing, I want to experience as much as possible and that all colors are overall net good. You know, I don't want only half of the colors spectrum, you know, and that they help you experience more. So that I suppose the outcome is maximized experience, if that makes sense, in a way that long-term is you know, helping you, you know, post-traumatic growth or whatever, or just enjoyable in the moment. Not running away from things, pushing down emotions, trying to you know, not feel. And so to me, I like the sentiment, I don't know who said it, that emotions are signals. You know, I'm experiencing frustration, I am not frustrated. Okay, why are you frustrated? Okay, if you understand that, then you might say, okay, well, that's, you know, whatever stimulus that got me to be frustrated. How do I change it? Am I responding incorrectly to it? So I shouldn't have got frustrated in the first place? Or is something there that they should talk to them about so that they don't end up frustrating me because they may be totally unaware that they're doing it um, or whatever else it is. And so to me, yeah, emotions as signals, I think is a nice framework. Yeah, so I think using that as like a starting point, we can move around. So when we're talking about emotional awareness and emotional fitness, they're kind of like derivatives of the classical um, emotional uh, emotional intelligence quadrant. And it talks about uh, two vectors, one which is awareness and the other is regulation. The, what we covered today is, well, also far is awareness in ourselves and the ability to regulate ourselves. But then there is a re awareness of emotions in others and the ability to help regulate others. Now, this is actually a like a bit of a game changer for me, in that, uh, and this is what Brené talks about: is we shouldn't actually try to be aware of others' emotions. And I thought that was actually really interesting. Yeah, I'd, I would love to go dig on that because I'm not necessarily sure I agree. <laughs> Well, that's that's what I thought. Like, I'm like, like, hold on. Like, there's a lot of um, literature and I would say cultural conditioning that's been around for a long time to say like it is important for you to be empathetic and to try and be attentive to or aware of other people's emotional states. And what Brené, from what I gather, is basically saying, look, there's just too many emotions that have the same outwardly expressed. Um, action for you to actually know what is going on for the other person and my initial response to that is like okay but that might not be a reason for us to just throw the baby out with the bathwater what do you think yeah like I'm not saying that you can ever understand what someone else is feeling in its entirety um, but also to the same measure I'm not even sure I can understand because like each time you think about something so they call this the self-explanation effect in education each time you explain something Normally, it changes your explanation, so your understanding something, normally leveling it up, right? And so 
you can get some stuff real time, but other times you have to do post game analysis. You have to re- replay like what happened in that meeting today, or you know something you know you're thinking about. Last time James and I caught up, there was a bit of a moment where it was a bit draining. Why did that happen? Or whatever, right? Um, and to me, there's normally more than one player on the field. You, you will spend some time by yourself, um, but you, you will also spend some time around other people. And I don't think that you should propose, you know, think that you know what they're feeling, but to not try to understand them and to think about how the two of you join together and mix, you know, there's, you know, your interplay with each other, like, you know, your mood will affect others' mood. They call it emotional contagion. There's a lot of evidence around that. And about how you might have triggered somebody and if you was unintentional, well, why would you want to unintentionally trigger somebody? You know, why would you intentionally want to as well? But that's a different story for a different day. Um, so to me, yeah, like, I think part of life, you know, you should be learning about politics, but now it's learning about emotions. And so mm. every thought or every piece of logic has a piece of emotion attached to it and every emotion has a piece of thought attached to it or logic attached to it, right? And like, and then every person is having this constant real-time, you know, thing rolling around. And so, yeah, let's do the maximum qualia, the experience of experiencing. Let's not do the, like, numb version of life. Let's do the full HD surround sound version. Yes. <laughs> so one of the favorite quotes I've, I picked up recently is, we decide with emotions and we justify with logic. Yeah, that's um, righteous behavior or the justified mind. Um, there's lots of people that do this. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's... Yeah, and, and I think we, we covered it. Motivated um, reasoning. There's, there's many, many names of that, yeah. Or, like, you know, um, some, you know, what is it? Affirmation bias. Um, you know, all those years ago when we talked about, um, you know, we're, we are not exactly rational human beings. And, you know, and back then, emotion was simply... This um, this concept that was disruptive to our ability to be purely rational, logical uh, creatures, and here we are, Duncan. How many years later, talking about how this is not a bug but a feature of the human uh, experience or qualia, as you would put it. That's a, that's um, a um, Greek idea. The Greek came hmm. as in like you know, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. God, they were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Epictetus, uh, one of them. Um, but so if we Thinking about emotions and other, like for me, emotions is kind of like the bridge to connecting. Or mm, like, like well, you know, if there, was, if there was no emotional undercurrent, then everything would seem to be, for me, purely transactional. Like, you know, if, if we're going to do something, then like I'm going to get something out of it. Whatever you get out of it is, you know, like it's, the, it's driven by the market forces or whatever you want to call it. But the emotional aspect, I think, is the human side of there being something like yeah I can't put a thing I can't place it exactly but what I'm trying to get at is I do feel that emotional awareness or awareness of others emotion is that human experience Mm. and maybe the distinction could have been better made to say don't presume to know what other people are feeling in the moment but still bringing your awareness to because there are so many times during the day I'm on autopilot I just walk into a room I just say what I've got pre-recorded in my head and then I leave the room kind of thing and I think emotional awareness another way or maybe another way of saying it is presence are you present are you actually receptive to others in the room as you are um, you know engaging with others mm. yeah I suppose this is what you're talking about the uni it's like developing yourself 
you know, emotional intelligence, they say, is more important than IQ. And I think both of those are reductive and fixed mindset sort of outcomes because, you know, growth mindset was initially called the incremental theory of intelligence, which was basically that your intelligence could grow incrementally. But I, I think the rebranding of it to growth mindset is, is um, a better one than this. And so to me, you get better at the things you spend time getting better at. And I don't believe I've placed anywhere near as much emphasis on improving at the emotional side of things as I have at the logic side of things or the EQ versus the IQ side of things, right? And I'd like to believe that I'm much better than I was 10 years ago in both realms. And so trying to understand others from a logical and an emotional perspective, I know it's just an oversimplified, you know, me-see, but it's, it's a, I think, a useful one at times, uh, is really, really good. And so to me, how do you have any strategies? Like, do you think that you're better at... Let's just drill it onto what she's saying. Being able to label your emotions, just just, just call it that, than you were mm. 10 years ago. And if so, are there any strategies that you used to get better? Okay, so do I think I'm better at labeling my emotions in real time? Short answer, yes. But, better at labeling um, people, identity politics. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah. But I, I mean, um, you know, a factor of 10, it can still be zero to one, right? I, I, have I got like... I, that means that I was zero 10 years ago and I just moved up the scale to one, right? So That's infinite. You know, the, you know, from zero to one is infinite improvement. Oh, God, just look at you. Just shut up. Come um, on. Basic mathematics. <laughs> Come on. Hold on. You didn't hold just on. make yourself look real to, switched on there. Well done. I need, I need to identify the feeling I'm having. Yeah, okay. What is that? Right <laughs> it's called... Irritable. Annoying. Yeah, no, no. I think it's called... Where is it? It's um, inferior. Hostile. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, so, like, labeling emotions, like, okay, so you want to know the number one strategy for me? Have a life partner. Because they will call you on your shit all the time. No swearing, like, James. Um, I really do resonate strongly with Jordan Peterson. Hey, um, <laughs> Talking about... He's someone who has low EQ, if you ask me. But anyways, go on. Well, I think he's got... EQ, but maybe not e-fitness. Uh. <laughs> he's, he's hardcorely good on the IQ side or the intellectual side of things, and I'm not so sure he's good on self-awareness or awareness of others. But go on. Well, um, and there, and there's a, a time for another podcast on that because I think we could go really deep. My point being, his when he talks about the value of relationships, and he starts off by the Gottman Institute's golden ratio of you know five positive interactions to one. Um, but he's also uh, very intent on exploring the fact that if you go over to 11 positive to 1, the relationship starts to dry as well. And that is because you need to have, according to Jordan, someone to contend with. And that contention is basically a, a person who can't just walk away when you're being, quote unquote, a douchebag, but instead will call you up on that. And so this for me is helpful because I have someone who can help me identify certain emotion that I'm feeling or expressing in the moment. And that kind of becomes a circuit breaker because as soon as she says like, James, you're actually being X and that will stop me in my tracks. And I'll be like, and, and so like, like we agree that we will be um, you know, in principle always trying to help each other out. So I will be like, am I being X? And I'm like, holy shit, I think I am. So that's my number one strategy advice. Yeah, so that's basically, I think what you're saying is that they say, you know, before you ask someone to remove the twig from their eye, try removing the log from yours. 
And, and the, the meta lesson of that is it's easier to see things in others often than it is in yourself, which is annoying because mm. the person you're hopefully able to affect the most change in is yourself. And so if you're a coach for whatever, AFL, you know, any sport, right? You can see things that the players on the field can't see, you know, even in themselves, right? Or just, just pick a one-player game like tennis, right? Um, so to me, that is a massively important strategy is having other people around to observe you and then talking about what they observe. But yeah. having their reflection be a true reflection and they're not just warping it or whatever is really And So to me, there's a few strategies. Like one is called post-game analysis. So after core meetings, you sit down and you go through and you replay what happened. And you, this is another blog that I wrote, which you wouldn't hear, it from a logical perspective and from an emotional perspective. And you look at it from the different people. Okay, how is this? And so did so-and-so react in this way? And what did that do, right? And this is like not normal. And I, you know, part of this idea was inspired by Bridgewater where you apparently have real-time metrics in a, in a meeting. You're, you're literally rating people like live. Um, and you know, the whole John Dewey quote, you don't learn from your experiences, you learn from reflecting on your experiences. And so to me, you can have others reflect for you, as in they tell you real time, or you can try to reflect from yourself. That's the main strategies that I have. So meditate, I try to for two minutes each hour and the breathing, and, and that's just to calm yourself. But also when you're letting go of whatever's going on, concentrating your breath, you realize what was going on. So you realize what, what you're, you were. And then you have post-game analysis with others for those things. Uh, you know, you do stuff like James and I will have a chat, but you know, um, all they'll seek, if someone's seeing you more, they've hopefully got a better you know, basis or a larger data set at least to see things um, than if someone sees you once a year. Um, but the core strategy I have is having others give you feedback, hopefully honestly, and you doing the same with them, and also spending time for yourself to reflect, which is kind of self-feedback. And mm. then these things can kind of become more aware, so they go from subconscious to conscious, and then your ability to see them real-time improves. But mm. you kind of first, you know, unconscious incompetence, conscious competence, conscious, you know, whatever, incompetence. I think I got them. Unconscious <laughs> incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, unconscious competence. So you're kind of moving thing after thing into the unconscious competence bucket. But you mm. don't start off being good. And to me, the way that I get better is by spending time trying to get better, never just by somehow magically improving. Mm. So another, I don't know if it's a strategy, but it's something I use to try and help me um, improve is asking myself um, who is in control. And what I mean by that is, is my emotion controlling me or am mm. I in control of my mm. emotions? And so I start off by, um, you know, before I am quote unquote triggered, uh, <laughs> um, I start off by trying to make sure I'm clear on what it is that I want. So another favorite saying of mine, you know, um, trademark is, I find to be overly simplistic, there are two types of personalities. There are people who are self-righteously indignant and there are people who are outcome oriented. And what I mean by that is you can either allow for yourself to be, um, you know, not overcome, but like you can decide that something is unjust and that you are justified in your emotional response to that event. Or you can ask yourself, what is the outcome that I actually want here? Right, so let's just say that somebody, um, you know, uh, you know, badmouthed you in the office, or they met, or they spread a rumor. All right, let's just say it's spread a, a rumor. rumor. Yeah, let's say that someone. Well, some, here, here's the feedback: grammar, you know, and that, that was, <laughs> and this is for me. <laughs> spreaded a rumor. Anyways, go on. Let's yeah. say so someone spread a rumor that Duncan is bad at grammar. That's true. And so <laughs> it's not you, a rumor. You, you, I don't know if a rumor is rumor always fake. 
I don't know. Whatever. Anyways, I don't know the definition. I think it's just unfounded. So you can have false positives. Um, yeah, well, but it's, it's unfounded. Just... That's not unfounded. That's founded. Well and truly. <laughs> so anyways, go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can be indignant. You can say, well, that's untrue. And whoever spread, said that about me is, you know, bad person. Or you can think to yourself that what do I actually want as a result out of this? Because this is the reality. The reality is that there's a rumor about me. What do I actually want to get out of this? Do I want to address the rumor or the person who's spreading it? Or do I just want to like get upset about it? And you know, for want of a better example, when I try and think about how I relate to my emotions, I try to think about what is the actual outcome I want to drive towards? And how can I you know, apply whatever emotion I am feeling? Because just because you feel something doesn't mean you have to act on it. You can, you know, you can allow yourself to be angry and not act in a out of control, douchebaggery, angry way and move towards what you actually want to um, achieve as a result. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one strategy. And if we go back to other strategies, um, to me, and we should put this on there, like the emotional wheels and the, how they're related, the, what Brene Brown did and, and putting things together. So maybe we can go through this. It's like she has these kind of like first order what you're doing and then second order what's driving that. So things are uncertain or too much. Well, why is that? Stress, overwhelm, anxiety, worry, avoidance, excitement, dread, fear, vulnerability. And I like, oh, interesting. And so you might be able to recognize the high level one, maybe you call it tier one one, like uh, things are too much. And then you have to do the digging to figure out why, you know, level two. And so just as you might read about whatever, lean methodology for building products or people management strategies and, and how to like, you know, set, you know, weekly targets or OKRs or something, right? You should probably be looking through strategies or frameworks for emotions and ways to try to dig into what's happening. And so... You know, I say like learning is a, is, a, is a normally a combination of reading, thinking, talking, writing, building. And so you would do professional development for people management or professional development for product management. You should do professional development for emotional management, if you want to call that. And mm. yes, there's emotional intelligence. You know, Daniel Goldman is the sort of main one, I think, that um, people talk about. And there are courses, but I still don't believe I've devoted as much time into this uh, as, you know, and then... Yeah, you listen to others talk about things. So, yeah, any thoughts on that, James? Well, so, I mean, I feel like I read every other day um, an article from, you know, Harvard Business Well done, Review. James. You read every second day. One thing. Oh, oh thank oh, you. Oh, 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 gosh, yeah. Sarcasm, Duncan. Well done. Um, but going back to uh, my point, I feel like I'm reading something quite frequently <laughs> that talks about, you know, the leadership, the leaders of tomorrow are you know, highly emotionally intelligent, or they are compassionate leaders, or they are, um, you know, they, they have empathy. I think those are the three main ones. <laughs> and and this, this kind of like talks to me about this idea of, you know, an organization is in the machine, it's a, it's a system of people. And people- Which is a machine of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on, yeah. Or, or, or it's, it's, a, um, you know, it's a complex ecosystem of various emotions as well. And navigating that, I think, is one of the key challenges of like, okay, so if we want to you know, be as impactful as we can as individuals, right? You don't even have to say leaders, but as individuals. Um, like one of my favorite uh, sayings is like, at the end of the day, we can treat all interactions like an algorithm or, or a line of code. 
And if your interaction doesn't get the result you want, then you can either get angry at the computer or you can figure out what is the correct line of code. And for me, I think, you know, just like it is learning any language, learning about emotions is an incredible advantage to anyone who wants to be able to enforce change, well, not, or implement change, hmm. or bring about change. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, another strategy I had that I had is like, if, I think, you know, if you went to the gym and you had a personal trainer, it's not because you're obese. And if you go to the nutritionist, it's not because you're obese again. <laughs> you know, you might just want to improve your health. But if you, if you go and see like a, a therapist, do you have mental health issues? And so to me, I don't know an elite sports person that doesn't have a coach. And a large part of it is not just the way you do this training and the stuff, it's managing their mental, you know, psychology, et cetera, right? And part of that's emotions. And so to me, I think there's a type of chats which I call counseling chats, so you're a counselor, which are far more reflective, like you're doing, and talking about perhaps the more emotional side. You, you, you could be more vulnerable with them or whatever than you might be around somebody else. But then I was like, well, why would I be only doing this with counselors? Why wouldn't I be doing this with friends? And so I wrote this blog again uh, a while ago called The Eight Different Types of uh, Relationship Interactions. And one of them was counseling chats. And so to me, you can just you know, talk you know, you know, crap and have a bit of fun. You can, you can try to problem solve. You, you can do whatever it is, right? But counseling chats, perhaps like you and your partner, James, have every now and then, it sounds like, are epic. And, and you know, James and I have had a couple of these in the last you know, couple of weeks, not on the podcast. And it's just not something that I um, did 10 years ago. Um, and I don't know if I was avoiding it. I don't even. I just don't think I knew that it wasn't even a thing that you could do. You know, it's just naive, I suppose. And so, to me, this isn't. Oh God, we have to talk about emotions. Boring. Like, I'm not sure my dad would um, like it. Love you, dad. <laughs> uh, but you know, to me, I, I've come to love counselling chats. Not every chat, but not no chats like it was ten years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the like this just for me comes back to this idea of. You know, identifying it doesn't just refine it, it shapes it. Mm -hmm. it. It really brings a whole new level of understanding and appreciation towards, because what they, what, what Brene talks about is um, your ability to better um, identify will improve the ability for you to ask for what you need or take affirmative steps towards um, you know, resolving or um, achieving the desired outcome. Mm. Uh, and the example they gave was the difference between envy and jealousy, mm. right? So most of us, or most, like myself included, most of the time, whether I'm feeling envious or jealous, I will just say like, oh, I'm jealous. And what they try to, um, you know, create a distinction between is, so envy, envy is the, um, you know, somebody has something that you wish you had, where, According to Brene, jealousy is the fear of losing something you have from someone else. No, losing and, you have, not just losing something you have. Well, yeah, yeah someone just, else taking it. Yeah. Someone else taking it. To someone else, yeah. Um, and so whether or not you're talking about jealousy and envy or other uh, elements of what it is that you're feeling in the moment, you know, happy, sad, or pissed off, there's a much better, uh, I think, and, and this is also for me, a better way to connect with people. Because if I can explain to Duncan that I'm feeling irritated by his behavior as opposed to I'm just feeling pissed off, it might it might help bring some nuance to um, whatever it is that we're trying to you know build together or like interact when we're communicating. Yeah, totally. Um, so I suppose what you said is like, 
This is part of the counseling chat. We are digging deeper, going, you know, not just like, okay, mm-hmm. I don't know, Brene put this forward. Often people say there's five major emotions or whatever. Like, how deep can you go? And then what what is the driver of each? And I don't necessarily know that there's like a set definition for each one, but you can agree upon it, you know. And I know that Brene made that distinction, which I think is a fair and reasonable one. But this is like, you know, these emotional equations, which you put in here, which are really cool. I haven't seen them in a while. Despair is suffering minus meaning. Are you going deeper? And so this is part of fun. Disappointment is expectations minus reality. You know, jealousy is mistrust divided by self-esteem. That's a different definition of jealousy there, right? Yeah. Anxiety is uncertainty times powerlessness. Uh, you know, and calling is pleasure divided by pain. And I, I really like that because if there's nothing that you're really willing to hurt for, then is mm-hmm. there something you really care for? That's that whole, uh, what is his name? The subtle art of not giving a F by Mark Manson. Mark Manson? Yeah, yeah. And so to me, um, effectively emotions are signals, which is what I to before. Well, what is a signal? It's like, I don't know, it says red. What does red mean? You know, it's like, well, actually, it's like a sort of nice patina of like light red. <laughs> I don't know what the words are. I reckon I would hopefully have a bigger vocab of emotions than I have of colors. Oh my God, if I have a bigger color vocab than I have emotional vocab, that's really damning, isn't it? I probably have a bigger vocab <laughs> of schools of economic thought than I have of emotions. This is, this is you know. <laughs> Duncan is feeling beige. Yeah, beige. Uh, fluorescent <laughs> beige. Uh, so to me, um, it's just like, it's just an extraordinary component. I think most, almost every thought has an, a corresponding emotion. And sometimes the emotion comes first and the thought comes second. Sometimes the thought comes first and the emotion comes second. But mm-hmm. your ability to be able to, one, label it, and two, understand it is, is crucial. And then hopefully you can do that real time, and hopefully you can do it in high definition, not just like, happy, you know, why? Good thing happened. What was it? Uh, chocolate, you know. <laughs> so it's like, well, okay, just eat chocolate all day, every day. Oh, no, maybe that's not a great idea. <laughs> you know, so, so you'll, you'll figure it out, hopefully, at some point, yeah. Yeah, so there's, like, there's so many levels to this shit. It's really exciting. So like, when it comes to um, you know, increasing your language to increase your awareness of reality, mm. you can have 87 emotions, and that's just layer one. And then, you know, why? we... <laughs> why are you having... No, 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 layer one, but like, you know, because you have them, like, well, what, why do they happen? Like, oh, no. Well, so that's... All right, well, that's layer two. Mm. Layer know, three layer two, can yeah. be... Layer three can be these the formulas that we put up here, um, which don't have to be entirely representative of the emotions. Representative. So, you know, calling. Representative. representative. Yes. Representative. Representative. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident on that one. You've got a very big vocab, but not a very good verbal version of the vocab. <laughs> often it's often, yeah. I have vocabulary intelligence, but low vocabulary fitness. <laughs> <laughs> right, that. That's good. Um, But my point is, like, I think you don't need to get stuck on finding what is the best definition of happiness or what is the one version of, um, you know, anger that everyone can agree on. It's just how many layers can you add to your um, understanding of these emotions? So how many emotions can you name? Can you name why that you're having them? Can you have a simple formula that might help you describe Mm. it in a certain setting? There's another list of uh, definitions or meanings. Um, that I, I find more um, uh, pres- like descriptive, like depression equals hidden anger. Anxiety is wake up to your needs. Jealousy, what you want. Resentment, violated boundaries. Bitterness, withholding forgiveness. Anger, 
time to make a change, right? So these are more, um, you know, like proactive settings as opposed to, um, you know, formulas or description, but it's another way of looking at it. You know, it's a different perspective. Mm. And I just, and I just think with, um, you know, for me, when it comes to ideas, I don't think there's one, you know, universal truth. I just think if you can have different dimensions or additional levels mm. of looking at one particular concept, it, it just enriches that. Enriches? Enriches. <laughs> I don't know, I'm pulling you off on this. And again, like, I'm not creative grammar. Um, to me, it's really fun. So like, I think life can hopefully get more colorful. Um, so each year of your life should be the best year of your life. And not necessarily the best year because it was all great that year, but maybe the quantum of experiencing was greater. You know, and Victor Churchill, you know, help, you know, man search for meaning, um, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, one of the avenues that life can hopefully, there's no ceiling in it, is your ability to understand your emotions and to understand what's driving them and your ability to hopefully be able to empathize with others. And that that's an, a partially able to change the environment that you act in. Um, and so it's just... It's just like a total no-brainer. It's like, so I think it's, it's like, cool, you should go and look at all the emotional equations and we'll put like a link into them. It's fine. And you should go and look at the emotional wheels and like, you know, put a link to this. And you should go and have a look at Brene Brown's 87 emotions in the categories she's got them in. You know, things are uncertain. And you should memorize all We of compare, them. you know, things that don't go <laughs> as planned. It's beyond us. And uh, as an example, then you might have a chat with James. It's like, hey, dude, when's some time that you felt things were beyond you and why? You know, what was happening here? And so to me... You know, you sit down and have a beer and you just go through all of the different categories she's got here. I think she's got whatever it is, 13 categories. Um, and just try to remember times in your life where you might have felt this way. And then you kind of hopefully can understand it a bit more. And instead of reminiscing about the time that, you know, you know, you, you got drunk or something or that, you know, you, you know, I don't know, you had a child. And nothing against that. You reminisce it from a totally different <laughs> perspective. It's from the emotional lens. And so you're searching for events that fit categories of emotions as opposed to events first it's, it's emotions first mm. so before we run out of time i want to close out the um the quadrant of emotional awareness regulation awareness of others regulation of others uh, and so this last thing around regulation of other emotions i think is a really interesting one uh, and what comes up for me is so i believe emotional intelligence is very useful, uh, plays a large role in being able to connect and uh, well, con just to connect with others. And I'm a big believer in having, in caring about others' emotional well-being. But there's, a, a, there's another school of thought, which was, um, I first came across it in Tim Urban's The Woolly Mammoth Theory, mm. which is story why we... Oh, yeah, so he wrote the story of us, but the Woolly Mammoth was another blog that he wrote, which is why you should not care about others' opinions of you, or their, like their, their, their considerations about your emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. So I guess to, to cut a long story short, where, where is it no longer useful for us to need to regulate other people's emotions? Because on one hand, simply being able to connect with others and empathize with them, I think is super useful. But then helping them through their emotional 
turmoil could be productive or counterproductive. Hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's just picking up that lens. Like, should you help others some of the time? I hope so. Should others help you some of the time? I hope so. Should you help others all the time? Probably not. Should you need help from others all the time? Probably not. So it's not like or, <laughs> Joan. And so to me, mm-hmm. hopefully you get better at self main, you know, awareness, self-regulation. Hopefully you get better at understanding others and helping others, you know, others are being And that also you have some time where you're not having to consciously do this. You're just chilling, you know? And to me, again, the more colors, i.e. emotions you can, you know, label as an example, the better you can understand where they've come from, probably the more experienced quality of the experience of experience you can have. And as such, hopefully the more that life can be, you know, beautiful. Uh, um, now, again, I think emotional health is not just feeling good emotions, not bad emotions. It's feeling all emotions in a healthy fashion as them as signals for, you know, you know, putting forward. And so to me, what is the key thing that's different that, that Brene's put forward? Because I think this is, you know, if you were to say, like, what's the incremental new from this in, in you, from you, James? What do I think the most interesting view here? The incremental new that Brene has in this book, or is it just reconstitution of existing ideas, which is probably everybody's everything. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, I don't know too much about in the incremental new, but I picked up emotional granularity. Like that was like what it meant for me. And I think what's helpful there is you can, you can think about it in almost like degrees of variance. So, the first level is the, the, the five key emotions. And can you, can you identify those? And when you feel comfortable that you can identify those in, in, those, in the state when you're having them, then you can go to the next level deeper. And you can just expand out like, you know, in regimented steps without having to go the full blow on 87 emotions and then just feeling like, well, there's no way I can grapple with any of this, so I might as well not try. Hmm. All right, do you, want to, do you want to wrap it up or do you want to have another round of talking about something? Well, we, we're coming up to the hour. Like, it was Here pretty we damn cool. We do wrapping it up and stuff. <laughs> so let's go with summary time. Um, to me, I think that, that one of the core things that was coming out of this is just that labeling is, is so powerful. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And whilst it's not something that I've heard of, not, not heard before, it's not something that I feel that I do as well as I'd like to. And I, I think the main thing that I like was her... 13 categories we didn't really go into and you know that's what i think the incremental new is here and it's, it's a framework you know when things are too much what happens when we compare when things don't go as planned so when it's beyond us all wonder confusion curiosity sim- interest simple those are the reasons things aren't what they seem what are the reasons amusement bittersweetness nostalgia cognitive dissonance paradox irony sarcasm and so it's it's grouping these emotions in a framework that I have not seen before. When you're hurting, anguish, hopelessness, despair, sadness, grief. And so it's kind of like, well, could you f- hopefully realize you're hurting? Like, oh, I hope so, you know. When we fall short, that's another one. Shame, self-compassion, perfectionism, guilt, humiliation, embarrassment. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure this is the right place to go too deep on us because I personally, I don't know, I want to share some things, but certainly not everything about my life. Um, and so it's just great, like, that, I don't know, you and I talk about this. And so I think you know, a strategy for improving this is to talk about it so yeah listen to the podcast i'll put the link that she's talking about this is from 10 percent happier with dan harris um and maybe buy the book if you want to i haven't personally bought the book <laughs> she's she has got a, a five-part hbo series uh, um i understand it's on this and i've put that in my list of things to watch yeah definitely gonna watch that series when i can i don't have hbo so don't know how i'm gonna do that um so a relationship with our emotion for me is 
a lifetime journey. Mm -hmm. And up until I would say my mid to late twenties, I probably had very minimal or um, a negative sum relationship with emotions. I didn't know how they were as a part of me and probably thought that um, you know they were in control because I couldn't control my emotions basically. But looking at you know the approach that Brené makes, which is we can move from emotional imbecility to emotional granularity or maybe maturity um, to, by starting off by increasing our awareness of them. And I think it's just really compelling when you think about the vast and complex human experience. And when people can say, well, I can really just identify three emotions when I'm having them, angry, sad, and pissed off. And how much further we can, you know, we can deepen that divide. So number one takeaway is language does not just communicate emotions, it helps shape them. And I think that's a really profound realization. So by building up my awareness of what emotions I'm having, mm. helped me to increase my emotional intelligence. Mm. But for me, having friends like Duncan, um, you know, amazing partners like my wife, um, builds on a foundation of order. trust. And <laughs> <laughs> builds on a foundation of trust. Like, no, not in that order. I just need to make clear. Um, builds on a foundation of trust and good faith, I must add, um, is probably the most impactful um, and helpful thing I've had in my life in being able to identify emotions that I'm having when I'm having them. And I think the limits of, you know, my language means the limits of my world. Thank you, Ludwig. By going through on this journey of realizing that, you know, you can have much more control over your emotions and that being the, the bridge or the conduit to how you connect to others, um, it's a really cool thing. So yeah, buy the book, read the, read the listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, because I think, yeah, for me, emotions, they're features, not bugs. Cool. All right, James, good chat. My emotion Dude, out of this is good. <laughs> I don't know why. Can you help Happy. me? Yeah, I, I feel pissed off, you know, why? Anyways, um, I'll speak to you soon. Dude, Bye.